All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about whether or not the Falcons two additions so far this offseason and Dante Fowler and Hayden Hurst are good bets. And we'll talk about whether their potential pursuit of running back Todd Gurley fits into either the good versus bad bet category. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Rock Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode, we're going to be looking at why Dante Fowler and Hayden Hurst could be considered good bets for this team in terms of their offseason strategy. And we'll take quite a look at whether or not any potential pursuit of Todd Gurley, which has been rumored on Thursday, is also a good bet or a bad bet. And we'll then sort of touch upon the team's remaining needs after the first couple of days of free agency, as well as briefly touch upon Devondre Campbell's uh, departure to the Arizona Cardinals as well. So all of that in store on today's episode, but let's sort of get into that lead story, talking good versus bad bets. Spent a lot of time in recent days and weeks talking about whether or not the Falcons are making good versus bad bets this offseason. Considering that 2020 is a make or break season for this coaching staff and regime under head coach Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov, obviously this week they've already made two prominent additions by signing pass rusher Dante Fowler to a three-year contract worth $45 million. They traded a second round pick to the Baltimore Ravens for tight end Hayden Hurst, and he's going to be expected to replace departed free agent Austin Hooper. And they gave up relatively steep prices paid to acquire both of those guys. But it definitely could be potentially worthwhile if both players do what the team hopes. And which, of course, in Fowler's case, is going to be significantly improving the team's pass rush. And for Hurst, it's going to be stabilizing their passing attack and giving them a reliable chain mover over the middle of the field. In the case of Fowler, on one hand, you can call it a good bet because it seemed like going into this free agent period that it was a much smarter plan for the Falcons to invest resources in upgrading their pass rush via free agency versus the draft. When you look back over a lot of the recent seasons and looking at capable rookie pass rushers with the Nick Boses of the world being the rare exceptions, most of the quality rookies don't really tend to exceed more than 30 or so pressures during their first NFL season. And that is roughly equivalent to around four to six sacks when you sort of convert pressures into sacks using pro football focus data. And that wouldn't necessarily really move the needle for this Falcons pass rush, considering they got similar production from Vic Beasley, who's now walked to Tennessee. But in 2019, Vic Beasley had 36 pressures and eight sacks. Fowler is coming off a year in 2019 where he had 67 pressures and 11 and a half sacks. And even if you do assume that there is some regression in store for Fowler, given that he is coming off a contract here and gets that bump, he still represents a potential upgrade. I think Fowler's floor, as far as the minimum he should be able to provide here in Atlanta is a guy that can give you 45 to 50 pressures. And that roughly equates to seven or eight sacks. I think his ceiling is to potentially to improve upon his 2019 season, give you a guy that can give you 70 plus pressures and, and be a regular double digit sack guy. 
I think that player is potentially a substantial upgrade over Vic Beasley. And I think it may have been worthwhile for the Falcons, at least to potentially pay a premium when it comes to Fowler's contract in order to land that potential upgrade. When you look at Hurst, like pass rushers, Rookie tight ends aren't necessarily known for their ability to impact right away. You've seen recent first-round rookies like the TJ Hawkinsons and OJ Howards, players that are far more talented than Hayden Hurst is, didn't necessarily light up the world as rookies. And then you couple that with the 2020 tight end class in this upcoming draft, and this also sort of applies to the uh, group of edge rushers. It's not really considered to be a particularly loaded class at either position. And finding players that might prove to be the exception as far as guys that can come in and impact right away would be especially hard at both of those positions. So I think with Hurst, you're looking at a player that's a good fit for the Falcons. He's very comparable, if not identical, in terms of his skill set compared to Austin Hooper. It makes Hurst's potential to transition quickly into the Falcons' offense much easier, and he has a much lower learning curve than any potential rookie that the Falcons could add this offseason. And you also can't beat the cost efficiency that the Falcons had when it comes to Hurst's salary. Acquiring Hurst only really cost the Falcons about $1.4 million in terms of salary cap this season. And certainly the Falcons could have went out and targeted a, a more dynamic threat at the tight end position in free agency like an Eric Ebron, but it's likely the upfront cost would have been three to four times higher with a player like Ebron than it is with Hurst. And so while I think the second round price tag that the Falcons gave up in this trade is still a little bit steep, I do think the Falcons found a pretty efficient way to get a competent player that's going to contribute more in year one than the alternative would be if they had used a draft pick on that position uh, later this year in Hurst's case. And this is not necessarily the case with Fowler because in Fowler's case, you're looking for someone who can upgrade over his predecessor. But I think in Hurst's case, you're really looking for a player that gives you the least amount of drop off from his predecessor in, in Austin Hooper here. And I think both Hurst, both Fowler can achieve both of those goals. You know, even if those two players do, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that the Falcons as a team, are going to do particularly well because football is not just about two guys. It's about those two guys in addition to the 20 other guys that are also out there on the field. But I think in an all-important season for the Falcons and their current regime, I think it's very important that they continue to make as many good bets as possible and put themselves in the best position moving forward heading into this regular season. So we're on the topic of good bets, and let's spend a little bit of time talking about Todd Gurley and whether he fits into that category coming up on Locked On Falcons today. But before we get there, got to plug Locked On NFL podcast where host Brian Peacock is joined daily by former NFL scout Matt Williamson to talk about all the big headlines and big stories around the league. Of course, during this time of year, you definitely want to check out Matt and Brian and get their thoughts. Of course, you want to continue to check them out throughout the calendar year, but especially with so many things going on, you can sort of get an idea of sort of what are the big moves that sort of shift, you know, potentially the narratives and and the dynamics of this league. And of course you can find the locked on NFL podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and Spotify, as well as whatever you're listening to this locked on Falcons right now. So for those of you guys out of the loop, uh, the, 
Rams cut Ty Gurley on Thursday, basically to avoid paying him a massive cap hit in 2020. They did shop him prior to that. They got no takers because typically NFL teams, when they know that a team is on the verge of cutting a guy, they drive down the price that, you know, they're willing to offer teams and basically like, you know, are you going to dump Ty Gurley to get a seventh round pick back? I mean, maybe somebody would, would do that, but I don't know if anybody was willing to take on that cap hit, which I think is, is really the thing that killed it. Any trade talk there, I think it was like 17 million or something like that. So we know that Ty Gurley hasn't been the same player since he got hurt in 2018. And we know that he's reportedly had sort of arthritis in his knee in that same surgically repaired knee that he tore his ACL what's almost six years ago when he was at Georgia and the concern, of course, has been since that knee injury in 2018, you're going to get continued diminishing returns on Gurley and, and based off of his performance in 2019, which was not the same as what it was in the two seasons prior to his knee injury. Uh, it seems to be fitting with that reality. But there have already been reports on Thursday afternoon. Um, and as I'm recording this, n- nothing, nothing has, is imminent. But there have already been reports um, that the Falcons have expressed interest in Gurley as of this recording and, and that the Falcons are also pretty high on Todd Gurley's list of teams that he would like to play for. So clearly the attraction is mutual. Was that, whether that leads to a deal getting done, only time will tell. But I think you have, if you're the Falcons, you have to weigh sort of two factors when it comes to seriously considering pursuing Gurley. I think health and contract are those two factors. I think health-wise, you know that his health is potentially deteriorating. So in reality, Todd Gurley is at best a short-term stopgap. And I think the main thing that I would personally advocate for why you would be attracted to Todd Gurley is not because of his ability as a runner at this point, you know, we'll, we'll see what that is, but it's really as his ability as a pass protector where he's been pretty consistently one of the better pass protecting running backs in the league the last couple of years. He's had a pass blocking grade, according to Pro Football Focus, of 70 plus in each of the last four years and hasn't given up a single sack in that entire time. And I think it's easy for a lot of people to underestimate the importance of pass protection. Um, but you look at the Falcons current running back room and you, none of those guys are proven options. In that regard, they certainly could improve, but you know, if you're betting on that again, going back to the whole notion of good versus bad bets, you know, I think that's a a pretty substantial gamble and you're betting your franchise quarterback on some basically for lack of a better term, greenhorns ability to handle those uh, reps. And then when you couple that with the fact that even if you do go out and draft a rookie, you know, pass protection is widely considered to be the biggest obstacle that rookie running backs face trying to make their transition to the NFL. The complexities of, of picking up blitzes is, is really one of those, one of the toughest aspects and not the toughest aspect for college writers making that transition. And it's partially why a lot of NFL teams, you know, do their damnness to make that transition as easy as possible. Cause oftentimes they don't even ask their rookie running backs to, to do a lot of pass protecting like Alvin Kamara. I think his rookie season had 14 snaps pass protecting that entire year. I think James Conner, his rookie season, which I think was the same year, had six snaps. Obviously, they had Le'Veon Bell and whatnot. But it is one of those things where you can make the argument that uh, adding Gurley to handle the bulk of those third down responsibilities, then you draft a running back that will eventually take over those running abilities is the best bet that the Falcons could make at the running back position. Now, again, you can you can 
dispute whether Gurley's the best option there. Um, but you know, I'm not wading into that debate. So I think that leads you to the the contract conversation. And I I think you can justify signing a player like Todd Gurley, but I think a lot of it hinges on how much you're going to pay him. If you sign him to a one year prove it deal for say five or $6 million or less, I can't really get upset with that move given the circumstances. And I think if you do make that move, it does potentially free up the Falcons from having the pressure of needing to take a running back in round two. Uh, maybe you can definitely now afford to wait into round three or four to take a running back, which I'm sure other people are already arguing. You already had that luxury to begin with, but certainly you're not going to feel as compelled to have to get running back early in the draft uh, as you would if basically you had Brian Hill or Quadri Olison penciled at the top of your depth chart going into the draft. If you have Todd Gurley. So, for me, when you when you throw those factors in, I have a hard time seeing the downside of the Falcons signing Ty Gurley if you if we're talking about those parameters where you sign him to a one year prove it deal. Now I know other people will have a much stronger take on that, either pro or con. Um and I, I certainly would be a lot more critical of that move if the Falcons are looking to sign him to a multi year deal and trying to lock themselves into multiple years of Ty Gurley, similar to what they did with Steven Jackson oh so many years ago. To me, the question is, do the Falcons even have the cap space to to even sign Todd Gurley to a one-year prove-it deal? I don't know the answer to that. I think that's one of the great mysteries, <laughs> you know, besides whether coronavirus is, is a, a massive threat to the population at large. I think the other great mystery that I'm pondering at this point in time is how much cap space do the Falcons actually have? My best guess is that they're in the midst of moving around money in order to sort of make this Fowler deal work, which is why you haven't seen the terms yet of that deal, because I don't think the contract's probably been filed yet. We know on Sunday, March 22nd, that Deion Jones is due a $7 million option bonus and Alan Bailey is due a 750000 roster bonus. If they cut Bailey before Sunday, they will save roughly about four and a half million dollars against this year's salary cap. Obviously, Deion Jones is not in danger of being cut. His contract, I think, is already guaranteed, if if I if I'm not mistaken. But I do wonder if there's a way for the Falcons to restructure or defer that bonus in some way in order to save money. I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. I'm not a, a contract guru. I think that's something that we we could see happen this weekend. In addition to maybe seeing the team do more to restructure some deals like Alex Mack, among others, to sort of move some money around to, in order to make this Fowler deal work uh, so that, you know, when business resumes on Monday for NFL teams, that the Falcons will have their sort of ducks in a row as far as their salary cap situation in order to set themselves up into some favorable things moving forward. Because, you know, given these question marks about how much cap space the Falcons have is going to determine really how proactive they're going to be in the quote unquote second wave of free agency that that picks up, you know, this weekend and, and, and next week. Um, and whether or not they're, you know, signing Ty Gurley to a one year prove it deal is even realistic uh, if they don't have the cap space to do so. You know, if they're only sitting on two million dollars in cap space, then I don't think there's really any realistic way that they're going to be able to land Gurley. Um, but if, you know, they find a way to have like six or $7 million and I think it's possible. Um, so I don't think the Falcons are going to be done in free agency quite yet. Um, given their usual timeline of moves, 
you know, next week is usually the time when they will probably try to add a couple of veterans to the near veteran minimum. Typically that's the time where guys realize that their markets didn't quite come together out of the gates as well as they hoped. And so they're willing to sort of settle for what the best, you know, their, the best offer is, is the same as everybody else veteran minimum. And they're just basically choosing like, I want to play for this team. And in previous years, you've seen guys like Justin Hardy and, and Kamal Ishmael sign, you know, in the second, third week of free agency. Uh, I think this year you're, you're talking about the bleedy Ray Wilson's, the Kenyon Barners and, and looking over the rest of the Falcons free agent list. Uh, I'm not sure how many other guys I would put on that list besides those two. So because of that, uh, you know, again, I don't know how much more we're going to get out of free agency after this weekend. Um, if they don't, you know, move around some money and, and make some moves, but because of that, we'll start to sort of turn our attention to the draft a little bit, at least on the remainder of today's episode and focus on sort of what are their remaining needs after this initial foray in free agency. But since we're talking draft, of course, I should talk about the two draft-related podcasts right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, Lockdown NFL Draft and Draft Dudes Podcast. And you can find Trevor, Ben, Kyle, and Joe, and their written content along with several others, Jordan, Jonah, Carter, whoever else. You know, they got a growing list of of analysts over at the Draft Network, so I don't – Brad, I know Brad's over there, so apologize if I left anybody out, but – at the Draft Network, you can find all their written content at the Draft Network. And, you know, everybody loves the Draft Network because of their mock draft machine. And, you know, I think given that, you know, most of us are, are, are under quarantine, social distancing ourselves, we can spend a lot of time on that mock draft machine. So definitely check it out. Check out, you know, if you want to, you got a, some dollars to give, you can fork up some for some premium stuff over at the Draft Network. And now you can have trades. Um, which we might touch upon a little bit later on the episode. But all of this to say is, you know, since we're all under weekend quarantine and you guys want to throw some mocks, our next episode is going to be a mock draft Monday. So if you want to submit some mocks to me on Twitter, on Facebook, via email or whatever the case may be, you can do so. Of course, I'm at Locked on Falcons on Twitter and Facebook, locked on Falcons at mail.com. And, and maybe I'll review some of your guys mocks on Monday. Uh, in addition to the, the draft network mocks that I will, the official ones that I will wind up doing on Monday. So definitely want to do that again, check out the draft So let's talk about the remaining primary needs that this team has. And let's, let's break them down in tiers. I think there's the, the first tier is obviously the primary needs, which is the, areas of your roster where I think you need starters. And I think there's three spots that stand out cornerback running back and linebacker. And of course, linebacker becomes a pressing need because of the departure of Devondre Campbell, which we will touch upon at the end of the show. Um, but the question at the linebacker position is, do you want a guy that's going to compete with Foyer Olakun to play beside Deion Jones? Or do you want a guy that absolutely is going to start over him? And that will determine sort of how pressing it is. So whether linebacker is one, two, or, or three, or, or let's say two or three, uh, you know, I, personally, I think cornerback is clearly number one, but I'm sure other people might disagree. Then you go to the next tier of moves. And these are sort of the needs where you definitely need a depth piece. You, you definitely need a backup here. And I think there's four spots there. What you're looking at, you're looking at center, you're looking at strong safety, 
I think you're looking at linebacker again, because even if you add a starter at the linebacker position, you're still only stuck with four current linebackers on the roster. So you you need to add another linebacker to give you at least five guys. And, and you can carry five guys, you know, relatively easily, which the Falcons have done in the past throughout the season. And then hopefully have, you know, some undrafted guys compete for a potential six spot or something like that. But if you have five guys that you can trust can play, then you're, you're good to go at the linebacker position. And the fourth spot is return specialist. And I'm counting it as a, as a depth piece because typically that return specialist is going to play another position, whether that's a running back, whether it's a cornerback, whether that's a wide receiver, whatever the case may be. But you know, he's a, back up at one of those positions, but also primarily returns kicks. So I think those are the seven primary needs that the Falcons currently have. Then I think you go to the third tier, which are positions that aren't necessarily quote unquote needs, but are spots that I think you would are wants are spots that you feel that you want to upgrade. You have an option on your roster already, but you just feel like you can get a better option potentially if the right guy comes along in the draft. And I would list a number of positions at that spot, but I think third wide receiver is one. I think getting another tight end, probably more of a blocking tight end to sort of push Jaden Graham uh, behind Hayden Hurst. Left guard is obviously a position that we've talked about where we feel like we can get better, but you know, because of the presence of guys like Gano and Jamon Brown and potentially James Carpenter, you have options already there that if you forego that spot, you're still, you you know, you have options. Um, swing tackle becomes a possibility, especially if Ghana winds up winning the left guard spot. I'm not sure if you're necessarily in love with John Wetzel holding down your swing tackle spot, who he would be the guy if, if that was the case, if the season started tomorrow. D tackle, we talked about this on yesterday's episode where you kind of need another interior pass rusher. But again, as I mentioned on yesterday's episode, you do have current options in John Kaminsky and Alan Bailey. Again, as I said on yesterday's podcast, I don't know if those are the ideal options you want there, but they are at least there. And then you have edge rusher um, where I think you can argue that you can get by with guys like Steven means and Austin Larkin and Jacob Toyota Mariner. And, you know, as far as your depth behind Tack McKinley and Dante Fowler, but obviously I think you feel better, you know, and whether you feel like a rookie can do that or re-signing someone like an Adrian Claiborne could provide that additional help that you're looking for, you know, is up to debate. Then I think the last position I would name is, is kicker. Now I know we have young way Koo, but, and I, I think we're, Optimistic that Young Wei Koo is is going to be able to hold down the job, but I certainly think I think there's no denying that we need to bring in competition for him. Not suggesting that that's something that needs to be drafted, but certainly I think that is a quote unquote want to get a, another competent kicker in here to push Young Wei Koo and let's have a real competition this summer, unlike we've had in in some recent years. So really, I went through the entire roster, and basically the Falcons have a need at pretty much every position, if I'm not mistaken, besides quarterback, free safety, and punter. And I personally feel like they can get a better free safety behind Ricardo Allen and DeMonte Casey, but I don't think the team feels that way. So I, I won't necessarily push for that. But to me, all of this adds more fuel to the fire that I believe that, you know, this team kind of needs to trade back in the draft. You know, having just six picks at this point in time is not going to cut it. And I've talked about this a ton already, you know, over the last couple of days, but this approach that the Falcons have had, particularly the last two off season, which is we don't need to be particularly aggressive in free agency, although to their credit, they have been 
taking steps to be a lot more aggressive, at least with the the Fowler signing this offseason than they have been since the 2017 offseason when they added Don Terry Poe. But you couple sort of their sort of, you know, lackadaisical, it may, be not, it may not be the best way to describe it, but we'll use it for now, approach to free agency. You couple that with their belief that they already have kind of attempt, assembled most of the talent that they need to be successful and they just need to coach it up. And then you throw in that they haven't really made a strong effort to add as much talent as possible via the draft, because typically they only have six or seven picks every year. I think that strategy has kind of led this team astray the last two seasons in particular. And while I won't sit here and say, yeah, they just got to change that strategy and they're guaranteed to win 11 games this year. But I feel like if they don't change, then that just speaks to complacency and the, the same complacency that I thought was the most critical factor it, that led to the downfall of Mike Smith in, in his regime. I feel like the Falcons need to trade back at some point, whether that's in round one, whether that's in round two, whether that's in round three. You know, I feel like if they come out of this draft without at least eight or nine picks, that's a failure. Um, and it doesn't matter who they drafted. I think they, they will have failed if they don't come away with at least eight picks in my eyes, regardless of who, the, what talent they got. But, you know, maybe that's drawing too, too hard a line in the sand for me. What is interesting is I, I do feel like some of their moves at least signal that the possibility that one of the guiding principles behind their strategy this off season, maybe to try to maximize their comp picks, those compensatory picks for 2021, but you know what I would say is is maybe that's a little too late, and maybe you should have been applying the strategy in previous years. Uh, if you look at overthecap.com, dot com, with Campbell going to Arizona, right now the Falcons are projected to have two fifths and two sixths in in terms of comp picks. They get a fifth from Campbell, they get a fifth from Beasley, they get a sixth from Schweitzer. The Fowler deal canceled out the the Hooper deal, and that's basically how the comp formula works. If you're curious to see. To get more details of that, just head over to overthedraft.com and they'll do a better job breaking it down than I can do on this podcast because I still don't, don't quite understand. I just understand the basics. But, you know, that leads us to wrap up today's episode by talking about Devondre Campbell and his departure to Arizona. If For those of you that don't know, he signed a one-year $8.5 million deal with the Cardinals on Thursday. My understanding is that they're adding him to be an inside linebacker. He's going to play beside Jordan Hicks. That's going to shift Hassan Riddick probably to be more of an outside linebacker. Riddick had a really rough year in coverage this past year. And I think was a big part of the reason why the Cardinals were so bad against covering tight ends. And we've talked about Campbell's ability as far as being a tight end cover guy. He's not a tight end eraser by any means, but I certainly think it's fair to say that regardless of how you feel about Campbell's consistency when it comes to particularly covering the best tight ends, he's definitely an upgrade over what they currently had uh, given they can't get any worse really at this point. So I think you couple that with the fact that Campbell's should get more opportunities to blitz the quarterback playing, even playing inside linebacker in their three, four scheme. You know, the Cardinals were third in the NFL last year, according to pro football reference in terms of having the highest blitz percentage uh, on defense so I, I really do feel like Arizona is a good spot for Campbell to land and hopefully he'll, he'll just simply do a better job taking advantage of the opportunities that he has there than I, I think he necessarily did here. Um, and so I wish him the best, even though I've spent a considerable time over the last three years uh, critic, criticizing him, but I do hope he winds up living up to what I think is, you know, 
more potential that wasn't quite reached here in Atlanta. So that's it guys. I, you know, again, want to remind you guys that if you want to do mock drafts this weekend and uh, submit them to me via email, via Twitter, via Facebook, I am, you know, the, the inbox is open. So head on over to the draftnetwork.com and take a screenshot or whatever the case may be, write it down on a post-it note, take a picture. I don't know, <laughs> whatever, whatever ways you think is, is the easiest way for you to send it and, and send it over to locked on Falcons on Twitter, locked on Falcons on Facebook or locked on Falcons at mail.com via email. And, uh, if you have any non mock draft related questions, I'm all ears for those as well, because it's a mock draft Monday, as well as a mailbag Monday. So any questions that you guys have, I will be happy to answer on Monday's episode. I hope you guys stay safe, be smart, be careful, be whatever you need to be, uh, in order to, uh, make it through this time, uh, as best you can more football to come on the lockdown podcast network next week. Hope you guys have a good weekend until then you are locked on Falcons. Your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.